You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, November 18th, the year of our Lord, 2021. There's a raging debate going on in the live chat right now, but I got to leave it over there because we're right here and we got a show to do and we are jam-packed high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I've got so many things, so many avenues down which I want to take the show tonight. But the first thing I want to do is I want to remind you what Meemaw used to tell me all the time, and that is, Josh, never do for $5 million dollars what someone would pay you $9.5 million to do. Meemaw used to tell me that. Apparently Mel Tucker's Meemaw used to tell him that. And Mel Tucker has taken the advice. We're working on it here. Collectively, we're working on it here. So we've got that to talk about. Lane Kiffin, who knows? He may be on the move. We've been talking about Manny Diaz all week. We've been talking about Dan Mullen. We've got the very latest on the LSU coaching search. We've got several big time week 12 matchups to break down. We've got predictions. I got a little... I think graphic that producer Jesse made a little bit later on to show you that indicates there could be total and abject chaos on the horizon. And I think the number is something like 10 of 15 out of that top 15 in the playoff rankings. About 10 of the 15 are in some form a vulnerable spot this week, at least point spread wise. So we'll discuss that. There is a rebuild underway at Texas. There's a great piece over on Horns 24-7 right now uh, by Chip Brown about that. And also some comments from Steve Sarkeesian earlier this week that I want to touch on. All that, plus we got some added best bets. We are hot right now, and we are going to lay the hammer down this weekend. We're already 3-0 on the week, and it is, by my estimation, Thursday. So the MAC has been very good to us. Baseball has been very good to Sammy Sosa. The MAC has been very good to us. At Late Kick Josh. I cannot stress enough to make sure you're following. Now, it didn't bite you when I posted on Twitter the Central Michigan pick. It was CMU minus two and a half. If you waited till the show, it was plus two and a half uh, or something like that. It was maybe in reverse order. Well, they won in a blowout either way, so it didn't cost you there. But losing that line value could cost you. So make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram at Late Kick Josh. I've got something to show you later. I know a lot of you out there skip through the ad read. Oh, I wouldn't skip through it tonight. I brought visual aids with me tonight to assist our folks from Academy Sports and Outdoors. You will enjoy. All right, let's, uh, let's dive in and, and talk about what all's changed in the world over the last 48 hours since you and I spoke. Latest coaching search whispers, coaching search intel. Let's start with LSU. Seems like a lot's happened for nothing to have really happened over the last 24, 36 hours. This is the time of year, by the way, in case you haven't noticed. Those of you down in Louisiana, you understand terminology used when a tropical system is headed your way. Every meteorologist talks in 12-hour increments. Normally, they say one day, two day, three day. But when you're talking about a hurricane approaching, it's 24, 48, 72-hour windows. And when you look at the cone, the projected path, it's 24, 36, 48, 72. That's how the hours count down until a landfalling tropical system. Well, in coaching search terms, that's how we talk. 
We talk about them as if it's a tropical system. What's changed in the last 12 to 24 to 36 hours? What's going to change over the next 12 to 24 to 36? Well, I don't know that a lot is going to change on the surface at LSU, but I had some of my fine LSU brethren hit me up on the iJosh today. And believe it or not, they were a little mad. Maybe not mad, maybe frustrated. And their frustration, friends, was there's no news. And I want to ask anyone out there down in Cajun country this. What kind of good news could you have possibly gotten today? What kind of good news? Because no coach worth his salt is available to take your job right now. No coach worth his salt uh, is available to make a comment on it. And why? I think the answer is obvious. They're all tied up in meaningful seasons of their own. So you were never going to hear anything today that was at least going to meet your criteria for qualifying as good news. If you heard something today, it was going to be because some guy was going to leave a studio job. You know, like me. You don't want me taking your job. Uh, there are a lot of guys out of work right now. Yeah, they could have taken your job today. I don't really think you're interested in those as your plan A, B, or C. So it's not a bad thing, and it doesn't mean that things aren't going on behind the scenes. I want to run down this list of names, though, that we have seen so far at least publicly attached to the LSU job. And I want you to spot the difference. Mel Tucker, that's one. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, that's two. And Lincoln Riley, those are three high-profile names that at least publicly you have seen tied to the LSU job. What has happened? What's the difference? Which one stands out? Well, Mel Tucker is about to have Forrest Gump money. We're going to talk about him in a second. So we know that's not happening, or at least we think we know that's not happening. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, in his own unique way, said, no, I'm not taking the job. It took like five or ten minutes because that is his own unique way. But Jimbo Fisher shot that thing down. Lincoln Riley, so far, is just kind of hanging out in Norman, and he's, you know, made the usual, I want to be here, you guys know how I feel about Oklahoma, but there has been no contract extension there, there has been no direct shooting down of LSU rumors. Why? Because Lincoln Riley is still involved in this thing, and LSU is still involved with Lincoln Riley. Uh, that is not huge news. That's been established for a little while now. But if you ever want to know about the validity or whether something is a smokescreen, that's what you need to look at. See, Jimbo Jimbo wasn't going to be used as a smokescreen. Jimbo Fisher said, no, 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 no. That's essentially what Jimbo Fisher said. And there would be a lot less drawl in it, but Lincoln Riley could do that today. Lincoln Riley is not doing that because, as I said the other night, I think for the past three shows I've said this, as of this hour, I think there's a lot going on in Baton Rouge and there's a lot going on in Norman, Oklahoma. And that's probably where things stand. And who knows, when the sun sets this time tomorrow, they may still be there. Unfortunately, in Nashville, the sun will set at 4.30 in the afternoon for reasons that I have no control over, but sure, sure do wish I did. Uh, speaking of Mel Tucker, I did want to speak on him. A lot of speaking happening. Mel Tucker is reportedly about to sign a massive contract extension with Michigan State. How massive are we talking here? Well, it looks to be about 10 years, $95 million. So I had Stats and Info crunch the numbers. And that comes out to $9.5 million a year, they tell me. That's a lot of money. As I said, that's Forrest Gump money. That's big time money. That is right in line with what Nick Saban makes. That's north of what I think Dabo Swinney makes. And that has led a lot of you to ask me in the inbox if I think Mel Tucker would be overpaid making $9.5 million per year. And my answer is, of course he wouldn't be overpaid. No different than in our industry. A lot of people think, believe it or not, some people in our industry are overpaid. Well, they're not overpaid. They're not underpaid. They're just 
paid. And in the coaching world, you're worth what someone's willing to pay you. That's how value kind of operates. And if you're being underpaid, according to your criteria, and you believe that, you take yourself out onto the open market and you let the market tell you whether you're being underpaid or not. You know, there's some coaches right now that are about to renegotiate because relative to market forces changing, they're old, adequately paid, now becomes an underpaid situation. This stuff's constantly evolving and changing, but I want to go to Mel Tucker specifically. That's a whole lot of money. Does his resume in historic terms indicate that he's worth that kind of money? No, it doesn't. But that's not what we're going by here. The, the scale slides a lot and, and the economics change a lot, but it's not necessarily merit-based, resume-based as much as it is how we determine your value. That's how we're basing it. Michigan State has decided Mel Tucker's their guy. Now here's what just humors me. I'm all for Mel Tucker and anyone for that matter, getting every dime they can possibly get. So they definitely don't take this as a negative or pejorative in any nature towards Mel Tucker. But I'm always entertained by coaching searches and by this entire season because it's very cutthroat. And if you wade out into these waters where you are being discussed with the most prestigious jobs in America, or if you are one of those jobs and you're going after the biggest names in America, there are two avenues. One of them is recruiting and the other one is elite coaching searches where you really got to roll your sleeves up and you got to have the knife in your back pocket and you got to be ready to go fight someone because that's what this turns into. Michigan State pulled out the knife and it was actually a sword and no one wanted to match it. And so they're proactively locking their guy down. Michigan State's never done this before. This is a huge move for Michigan State, but it's been entertaining for me to watch because I'm glad they're doing it. I was up there a couple of weeks ago. They deserve it. Love Michigan State. Glad they're doing it. Here's what's entertaining. This is privately funded. And what's entertaining is there are a lot of people out there with net worths associated with various programs that technically could do this. And a lot of them brag about being able to do it. Only a fraction of them are willing to step up the plate and actually do it. Michigan State's got some deep pockets up there and they're willing to step up and do something about it. They've also fulfilled a magnitude of NIL-based deals with their student athletes up there. So they're about it. A lot of people talk about it. Michigan State has been about it. What's entertaining is if you look at this particular sector of life, it doesn't match anything else in these people's lives. So these people, in order to get to the status they are in life, just strictly in terms of economics, they have had to live by a different code. The fiscal responsibility and the economic principle that you have to adhere to, to amass the kind of value that these people have in their bank accounts to even qualify them to be involved in making a dent in these kinds of coaching searches and extensions, it's just different. They're living a little bit different than you and I. And then you inject emotion and passion and competition in sports into it. And a lot of the economic and financial sense, it just flies out the window. And it's so fun to watch because you're making decisions and you're paying money for, I'm not going to call Mel Tucker an asset, but a coach in a generic sense is an asset to a program. And you're just throwing money around that you never would in any other walk of life. It's so fun to watch. Some people think it's bad. Some people think it's good. It's good for us. I know that it's good for us. So it's real fun. But here's the downside. The downside contrary to what your local sports writer may tell you, is not how it erodes away at the integrity of the sport. Nah, you can miss me with that. But here's what it does. It makes people forget sometimes, you're only able to get 100% of Mel Tucker. 
you pay him a few more zeros per year, you don't all of a sudden get 150% of him. That's impossible. And here's what I hope Michigan State understands, just like I always talk about with any other program. Just because you add some dollars on someone's paycheck does not mean you buy more than 100% of their ability. It's capped at 100%. Mel Tucker is who he is. Michigan State is capable under Mel Tucker of what Michigan State is capable of under Mel Tucker. I am not accusing Michigan State of this. I'm telling you in the past. I'm looking at other major programs around the country that recently made moves. There's been this idea that if we pay more, we can buy the ability to cut corners. We can buy the ability to microwave our way to a title instead of cooking our way to a title, which is the way everyone has to do it. I don't care how deep your coffers are. And it is a fool's errand to expect things to happen like that. So what I hope is avoided at Michigan State is the notion that since we're paying this guy more, that all of a sudden he's going to deliver more for us now than he was going to be able to under his old contract. That's not the way it works. You paid the money you're going to pay him to keep him around. But when I say him, that's what you kept. You kept him around. He's the same dude today as he was yesterday, as he was the day before, as he will be tomorrow. But that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's good on Michigan State for stepping up. And I can tell you it made a lot of people in the Big Ten nervous because Michigan State's not supposed to be the program that does that. Ohio State is, Penn State is, Michigan is. Michigan State, they're supposed to settle for their role. And their role is supposed to be what they are this weekend. They're supposed to go into the shoe as a 19-point dog. They're not supposed to win, but they're supposed to provide adequate pushback to where you get the big boys ready down the road for conference championship Saturday in the playoff. That's Michigan State's role. The only problem is no one cleared that with Michigan State, and they're not accepting that anymore. That's good for them. Lane Kiffin was never going to watch this cycle go by quietly. He just wasn't. Lane Kiffin himself is not of that nature. Jimmy Sexton, who represents him, is certainly not of that nature. And so today, like clockwork, with all the other busyness going around in the coaching search market and the coaching carousel and whatever you want to use to describe it, we get some reports that Lane Kiffin, if offered the Miami job, which, friends, is not even available yet, but if offered, he'd take it. Hit take it. That's the word out there. I was having a back and forth with Director Colin, uh, who is real, contrary to the debate raging in the chat right now, and producer Jesse. No one has even argued the validity of Jesse's existence yet. It's coming, though. And we were arguing about what this move would be, just this theoretical move. If Lane Kiffin were to leave Ole Miss for Miami, would it make sense? Now, I caught a lot of heat the other night because I said Oregon's a better job than Miami. Some people even literally thought that my entire opinion hinged on the access to private aviation. You know, I had like dozens of people say, well, idiot, hey, idiot, you're, Y-O-U-R, stupid. You don't have to fly in South Florida. You can just drive to all the schools. It's just like 30 minutes. It, it wasn't literal. I mean, it kind of was literal. It, it was an example of the investment that existed at Oregon. It wasn't a literal list of what you have to top. I digress. There was an argument earlier today, and there will be as this moves forward, and Manny Diaz is probably let go, and Lane Kiffin's name is probably brought into the equation. There will be an argument. Is the Ole Miss job better than the Miami job? I will probably save that for when the time comes. I think there is a solid argument to be made on both sides. I don't doubt that Lane Kiffin's interested in having his name involved in this, but it could be just as equal an opportunity that he wants his name involved and kind of doing the same thing Mel Tucker just did at Ole Miss as he is actually making the move to Coral Gable. So it still, to me, remains to be seen how valid that is. 
knowing how Jimmy Sexton has worked this thing in the past. But simple concepts here. I mean, if you're going to play the other side of this fence, very simple concepts in play. Lane Kiffin has let it be known. I can tell you this for sure. Lane Kiffin let it be known when he got to Oxford, Mississippi. He didn't plan on retiring there, uh, to put it mildly. And so, if that's still where his mind is a few years later, you have got a combination of things coming together. You've got him rattling off, for all we know, the best season he'll ever hang at Ole Miss. And then you've also got the most volatile, unstable, in a good way for a coach, market out there that we've seen, the most wide-open coaching market. And so, if you feel that way, you'd be foolish not to dive in. I mean, even if you were a little hesitant, if I'm your representative, I'm telling you, you told me this three years ago. If you still feel that way, you better dive in right now because I can't guarantee you, here's the word, I can't guarantee you these confluences of events will ever happen again for you. So Lane Kiffin's going to be a name that we probably talk about a lot here over the coming weeks. It is also widely believed that the Georgia staff could uh, suffer several losses if all these jobs open up. If Miami opens, if Florida opens, or if a combination of them open, what's going to happen is you're going to hear names like Dan Lanning, who is the defensive coordinator at Georgia. Uh, you'll hear names like Del McGee, who used to coach at Carver in Columbus when I was down there. So, so he has rocketed up the college boards. And it's not that those guys stand a shot at landing Florida or landing Miami. What's going to happen is inevitably when Miami hires someone or Florida hires someone or LSU hires someone, and then those assistant coaching roles get filled, there are going to be these other openings. That's why these are called keystone programs, because the moves made their impact and have a ripple effect on the rest of the sport. So there are going to be some down-ballot jobs, if you will, open up that may be well-suited for the Dan Lannings of the world or maybe the Del McGee's of the world. I was over on The Athletic today. I believe it was Seth Emerson and Bruce Feldman were writing about this very subject, about the Georgia coaching staff, and I thought they brought up a couple of interesting points that I've actually heard from other folks, they've kind of phrased it the same way. The Ted Lasso effect in this stuff is real. And I think also the Sam Pittman effect in this is real. One of those is a, an actual person. The other is not. Uh, Ted, a second Ted Lasso reference this week. I don't know how this happened. The Ted Lasso effect is simply this. Right in line with the famous show. It is the ability to go find someone who may not specialize on one side of the ball or the other side of the ball, but what they do is they bring an energy to the program and then they hire the best assistants they can and they carry out all the dirty work. They're the mercenaries. You're just the face of the program and it's okay if you don't go and dominate all the chalk talk clinics you go to. We'll get coaches in here for that. We want the leadership. We want the positivity. That is how a guy like maybe Adele McGee would rock it up to be a head coach. That combined with the Sam Pittman effect, and this is another thing they mentioned, and it's another thing that a lot of people in the industry are talking about. The perception has changed as to what has to be on your resume in order to get a shot. Used to be that there were just certain bots you have to have checked. Well, now a lot of people, not just on the Georgia staff, a lot of people and a lot of representatives of those people are pointing to Sam Pittman saying, remember back when you may have thought you had to have been a coordinator or a head coach before to get a major job? Well, let me introduce you to one Samuel Pittman. Resides in Fayetteville, Arkansas. They're doing really good this year. Anyone notice that? How many games did he coordinate the offense for Georgia? Uh, the next one would be the first one. A lot of people are using that train of thought. I think it's going to be effective. And so the Georgia staff, they're going to lose some folks. I don't know how badly it's going to hurt them, only because the underneath support roles that Kirby Smart's filled out, 
it leaves you with such a ready-made replacement. I don't even think Kirby Smart would have to leave Athens to replace a lot of the guys if and when he loses them because they're that prepared for it. They were prepared for it previously. I mean, that, some of these guys were elevated. And so I don't think it's going to hurt them. It certainly doesn't help to lose guys. Uh, I don't think it's going to hurt them nearly as much as maybe it's going to be perceived if and when it immediately happens. So that's the latest. I assume once we get out of this weekend, we'll probably hear a lot more. I imagine we will broach the subject again on Sunday night. Before then, though, we've got to go to Columbus, Ohio this weekend uh, for the Michigan State-Ohio State game. Now, I'm looking very, very much forward to this. I'm going to fly up there uh, midday tomorrow. i got some odds and ends I need to take care of. But when I'm in Columbus on Saturday, as is normally the case when I'm on campus with the Late Kick Renaissance Tour, it is very advantageous that you bump into me, not just for a handshake or a hello or even a picture, but we have got a partner they are Academy Sports and Outdoors, and they don't just talk the talk. They don't just give us a logo or a little branding package to put on air. They give us free stuff. So I've told you before about the handoffs that are executed sometimes between myself and the fine folks at Academy. When I go to these various cities, and every now and then I ask for some free stuff, and they give it to me. And if you're listening on podcast, I am very sketchily holding up an envelope. Because I've described the handoff to you guys before, and the handoff is a lot like you would execute down on the corner of 9th and Broad with your local bookie. It is a very folded up envelope, like the one in my hand, and you unfold the envelope, and you open it up, and there is, of course, something in the envelope, just like I have in my hand right now. Colin, can we go to the key shot so I can actually get a close-up of this right quick? What we have here is we have just endless amounts of Academy gift cards, and I will have these on me, as I do every single weekend, in Columbus this weekend. And these bad boys are worth 30 to 50 a pop. Uh, there's some of both in here actually. And that is what I roll around town with in my back pocket. And so I could read you all of the specials they have going on at Academy this Christmas, and it would be great. And I could read you all the fine language that they've put in these ad reads, and that would be great. But you already know it all. You know it's the one-stop shop for all your tailgating needs. You know it's the one-stop shop for all of your fall and winter wear. You know all that. You know it's the one-stop shop. But here's what else you need to know. They're giving us a bunch of free stuff to give out this weekend. And so if you're in Columbus, Ohio, find me. Can't tell you where I'll be because I don't know where I'll be. But find me this weekend. And we thank, again, our partner, Academy Sports and Outdoors, for making a truly memorable holiday season special for all of us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We move on. We've got some big games coming up this weekend. Going to be some good tailgating scenes this weekend. 
Week 12 picks. Let's start with Arkansas at Alabama. Bama is around a three touchdown favorite. Could be 20, could be 21 and a half, depending on where you look right now. It's the 3.30 game of the week on CBS Eastern time for the kickoffs here. I um, cannot get that stat line out of my head from the LSU Alabama game. That rushing statistic cannot get it out of my head. Utterly fascinated to see how effectively they'll be able to run the ball against Arkansas. To me, it's all about start for Alabama. It's the kind of game where if they get up early, you know, Arkansas is probably not built to throw on them and come from behind. Probably not. But then again, you say the same thing about LSU, and it didn't matter because they never got margin on LSU. And they were favored by 28 in that game. They're favored by 20 here. The model looks at it. You know, the model likes Arkansas. The model actually qualifies Arkansas as being one of our best bets of the week. I laid off of it uh, for personal reasons. Just feel I laid off of it. We don't have to bet literally every game the model keys on. But Brian Robinson and Trey Sanders, they're about what's left for Alabama at running back right now. This goes to show you again why on this show we say never stop recruiting running backs. This summer, Alabama was so, air quote, loaded at running back that Keelan Robinson saw fit to transfer to Texas. And now Keelan Robinson would probably be a feature back if he were healthy himself at Alabama. Uh, that's how quickly these things can change. So here's what I'm feeling on this game. I am feeling a little bit more explosivity in the passing game this week out of necessity. I certainly think they'll run for more than six yards. Don't know how much more, but I think they will. I think Alabama's going to end up winning. Don't know that they'll cover. I would actually lean Arkansas plus the points to cover. But I'm very, very interested if they are ineffective running the ball again this late in the season. I don't know how much confidence you can possibly have leading towards the Iron Bowl and then eventually a game against Georgia in the SEC championship game if they win either of these games. So I'm going to go Alabama to win. I'm going to go Arkansas to cover. Uh, Jesse, I know I was supposed to start with that graphic, so let's loop it around to the end. We'll do that graphic at the very end. Let's go Iowa State at Oklahoma next. Oklahoma is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. This is the big noon kickoff on Fox. This is Saturday, high noon Eastern time. I think there's some really good dynamics in play here for Oklahoma. I know a lot of people are on Iowa State this week. A lot of people are on Matt Campbell because they misunderstood what he said or don't get what he said. I don't really care about that. I already spoke my piece on that. But as for the game, you last saw Oklahoma reeling coming out of Baylor. And you last saw Iowa State. You probably didn't watch it last week. They lost too. I love the dynamics for Oklahoma here. As much as I would love to see Iowa State selfishly pull the upset, I love the dynamics. Oklahoma's due up. They are totally in wounded animal mode, pure desperation mode here. Their playoff lives are on the line. Could very well be that their big 12 championship hopes are on the line the next couple of weeks. Also, it's a back-to-back -back road spot for Iowa State, and they lost all of their big 12 championship hopes last week. And the model loves Oklahoma. It's one of our best bets of the week. We already tweeted it out earlier. If you're following, if not, we'll put it at the end of the show. But I expect the passing game to be better for Oklahoma this week. A more balanced attack, but I especially think that they'll have a little more success against the Iowa State secondary than they did Baylor last week. I'm going to take OU to win. We're actually taking OU minus three and a half. I don't think it's going to get down to three. We're taking three and a half. It's one of our best bets of the week. I think Oklahoma bounces back this week. Michigan is on the road at Maryland. This game is going to be ignored. Not a lot of people are going to pay attention to it. They are 15-point favorites to the Wolverines. It's a Saturday, 3.30 Eastern game. It's going to be off the national radar. It's on Big Ten Network. Three things to watch for Michigan. Last tune-up 
before the game against Ohio State. Number one, I want to know how well Maryland throws the ball against the secondary because it's the last, obviously, the last preview that we see from any kind of competent passing attack before Michigan has to face Ohio State. That's the first thing. Do they stone them, or does Maryland have some success through the air, maybe a little bit more than you're comfortable with? Second thing, how well does Michigan run the ball? It is going to be the key to their success in any game they play, but especially next week. They don't need to be peeling off 78 yards on the ground. They need to be 178, 225, something around that on the ground against Maryland. And also, not that we can quantify it, but is there any kind of look-ahead factor here? In fact, a number of these teams are in this position. The next game we're going to cover features a team in this position. So I've got Michigan winning. The model very slightly leans Maryland plus the points. I have no strong feel on that. We're going to go Michigan to win. Uh, anything, I think, above 14 and a half, we lean Maryland plus the points. It is certainly not a best bet. Here is another team in potential look-ahead mode, and that is Oklahoma State. Minus 10 on the road. Notice all these highly ranked teams on the road. Double-digit favorites, though, so no one's going to be paying much attention. Cowboys minus 10 at Texas Tech. It's a night game. It's 8 o'clock Eastern on Fox or 7. I think it's 7 Eastern on Fox. Either way, it's nighttime. Sun will be down. Interesting matchup here. Oklahoma State has been excellent. I mean excellent. I think probably the best team in the Big 12 at pressuring the quarterback. And in games against offenses like Texas Tech, you tend to have the crowbar theory in effect. The crowbar theory is when you get these inordinately disruptive defensive fronts, like Oklahoma State's, and you rely on a lot of timing and rhythm in your pass game, obviously, it tends to just crowbar you. It's like throwing a crowbar in the bicycle spokes. It doesn't slow you down. You either hum or you fall straight over the handlebars. Face, street pizza, you know the metaphor. However, over the past few weeks, Texas Tech has had Donovan Smith at quarterback. Big kid, can fall forward for the first down, offers a little more balance and offers a little more versatility in the offensive game on the ground than I think they had early in the year. And for that reason, as good as Oklahoma State looked last week, I'm actually a little concerned about it. Because as you know, we made Oklahoma State one of our best bets last week. So a blowout against TCU is what we expected. We did not get anything unexpected. Now this week, the model looks at it and says Oklahoma State should be favored by about seven. So the same model that picked the upset, I mean, that picked the blowout last week, looks at this and says, wouldn't be shocked at an outright upset. Think Oklahoma State wins. Don't think they cover. So we're taking Oklahoma State to win because there's also a potential look ahead here, too. We're taking Oklahoma State to win one week before Bedlam, one week before they play OU, and we're taking Texas Tech plus the points. Not a best bet. These are just random picks. Uh, since he plays SMU Saturday, this is the last probably regular season shot, obviously, that Cincinnati's going to have to lose. They are 11.5-point favorites at home. They are currently the fifth-ranked team in the college football playoff. It's a Saturday game. It's 3.30 on uh, ESPN. The model has this 37.5 to 30. It thinks Cincinnati wins by a little over a touchdown. Thinks the number's too big. It's been a while since Cincinnati flexed on anyone, and the model is taking that into account. All of the season baked in now. We're not taking anything preseason into account. Sonny Dykes, they've lost a few games there. There's a thought around the industry that Sonny Dykes still has his choice of a few jobs. Uh, I don't know that I agree with this all the time, but there is a thought that it is imperative he pull one of these games off. They've lost a couple, need to win one. And this would obviously be the giant feather in the cap. I'm saying all that to say don't worry about motivation. Don't worry about anything potentially being let out of the sales for SMU. They'll be ready. 
I actually think Cincinnati is going to lose this weekend. So not only am I going to take SMU to cover that 11 and a half, which I think may come down before kickoff, I think SMU is actually going to win the game outright. And it will be a situation where you may watch it, and if it goes down that way, you say, well, they, they flirted with this for about the past month. It's about time it finally happened. Um, if this happens, the first team I'm going to look at is Notre Dame. Because all of a sudden, I don't think head-to-head is going to matter. Because I don't think the committee would look at these resumes and otherwise say they're even comparable. And so Notre Dame, again, shark fin out there. Going to talk about the Irish in a second. Notre Dame out there. If Cincy goes down, just keep an eye on that. Uh, also, Jesse had a nice fancy graphic made. Check this out. If you're listening on podcasts, this is one of the rare times where you truly lose not having the visual element. But I'm going to read it to you. All these teams listed here are in the top 15. You see the numbers corresponding right there. This is a treacherous weekend, guys. This could be a complete mushroom cloud of a weekend, and no one's paying attention to it because there's only one quote-unquote top 10 matchup. But Oregon is number three right now. They are a three-point dog on the road at Utah. Ohio State and Michigan State obviously play each other, so inevitably a top 10 team falls there. Cincinnati, I just picked them to lose the game outright, but even if you don't think they're going to lose outright, look at that. That's an 11.5-point line, and they're at home. That's the number five team playing SMU. Michigan is on the road at Maryland. They're on the road the week before the biggest game of the year for them. They're a little over two-touchdown favorite. Notre Dame's number eight. We love them against Georgia Tech, but that's still a dangerous game. They're only a 17-point favorite at home. Oklahoma State, think that's treacherous. They're a 10-point favorite on the road at Texas Tech. I'm not even out of the top 10 yet. Number 10, Wake Forest, is a a 4.5-point underdog against Clemson. We're going to talk about that game more later. Uh, Baylor, number 11 in the country right now. They're a one-point dog currently on the road at K-State. And number 13, Oklahoma, 3.5-point favorite versus Iowa State at home. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And that's 10 of the top 13 teams in the country that are in some form of a vulnerable position this weekend. This is a renaissance season. There are no calm November Saturdays in renaissance seasons. I know, because this is the first one we've lived through essentially since maybe 2007. Uh, Be very careful. Don't be thinking you've got a nice little window. I know our friends over at the Solid Verbal sometimes give you the window with which you can go out and get something done. It doesn't exist Saturday. Doesn't exist. There is no window of opportunity. There's just an opportunity for heartbreak. It's going to be a heartbreak Saturday. Favorite wrestler, the heartbreak kid. This could be heartbreak Saturday. And we own the rights to that if it does happen. Uh, I wanted to touch on this for a second. Then we're going to give you best bets, and then we're going to get out of here. I've got a ton of best bets. We've got... Three already in the bag. we got eight more to give out. That's what we're going to wrap the show up with. I was looking at Horns 24-7 today, and Chip Brown has a great feature. I don't know how it, long it took him to write this, but it's a great feature. And it kind of corresponded with, or it kind of coincided with, you know what, I actually don't like the way I worded that. So, Colin, pretend like that never happened. Here's where I want to cut in for the segment. The Texas rebuild, how long is that going to take? Our buddy Coach Chip hit me up on Twitter today. And he was talking about two big-time losses in year one of a coach's tenure. And he said, which one was worse? Was it Nick Saban losing to UL Monroe in 2007? Or was it Sark in Texas losing to Kansas in 2021? And to me, it was very easy to answer. I think the Sark loss to Kansas was much bigger. Because if you go back to 2007, when Saban and Louisiana, or when Saban and Bama lost to Louisiana Monroe, number one, 
he was already proven. Nick Saban had already won a national championship. There was no doubting his credentials and whether he could get it done, whether he had a plan to get it done. And number two, the following Monday, I vividly remember this. I never felt more confidence in Nick Saban coming off any game than I did listening to him the Monday at his press conference after the UL Monroe loss. His best press conference he has ever had at Bama was the Monday after UL Monroe. He essentially gave you a spoiler alert. He essentially previewed the next decade and a half. He told you exactly what was going to happen. He told you how he was going to do it. And he told you why he couldn't do it right now. And portions of that are very, very key here because that's what Sark's dealing with. The only difference is we don't know, obviously, whether Sark's going to be able to replicate even a fraction of the success that Nick Saban's had. But I'll tell you a couple of the points that Saban made after they lost that game in 07 directly correlate to what you're seeing right now at Texas. One of the quotes was, you guys are putting winning ahead of doing it right, and that's wrong. And Nick Saban was wagging that finger at the entire assembled media beat, but really he was talking to the fan base and a lot of the rot that was around the program that needed to be taken care of. Where have you heard that kind of terminology before? I'll tell you, it's Austin, Texas. And so Steve Sarkeesian right now has probably dealt with some folks around there that are putting winning ahead of doing it right. Now, I'm not accusing the entire Texas fan base, far be it for me to do that, but I think the Texas fan base knows what I'm talking about. You can't have that, and you can't put winning ahead of taking care of that. And the second thing Saban said that day that he still says up to and including today is you cannot get it right until the people are right. And the people are not right. And I'm specifically talking about the locker room now. You can go back to the Bo Davis bus video. The people aren't right there yet. And so it's not necessarily a shocker that Steve Sarkeesian doesn't have the right ingredients right now. But now, here's where the Chip Brown article earlier today comes into play. Because Sark, on Monday, made a statement that I picked up on. I didn't talk about it, but my ears perked up on Monday. Because normally coaches don't give out specific numbers like this. Steve Sarkeesian said, we could add as many as 33 guys to our roster for 2022. We could add as many as 33 new faces. And that's really before he knows fully how busy the transfer portal is going to be. This will be the story of college football this upcoming spring and then post spring as well in the summer months when you have like the second round of transfer portal goings and comings. Texas is going to be a totally different team next year. I don't know if the record is going to be different, but Texas is going to be a totally different team. And Chip over at, 20, over at Horns 24-7, man, he dialed this completely up today and let you know kind of position by position, but easily let you know organizationally where things stand. He named a bunch of names. Um, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that Steve Sarkeesian just, just whispered in his ear and then chip typed. I mean, that's how thorough the information was. But the process has already begun. They've already had some guys leave. There hasn't necessarily been a huge public proclamation that this guy's no longer on the Texas football team. But a lot of them are gone, and several of them will be gone. And that's going to be a good thing for Texas because uh, you can achieve this without a bunch of fat being trimmed there. For lack of a better term, not that a better term is needed, but it's going to kick into gear really soon. Now, here's what I'm watching. Not just the overall roster, but specifically at the quarterback position. And this is where a lot of the attention is going to be, period. Hudson Card and Casey Thompson are there, and we've talked about that ad nauseum this year. A lot of people in and around Austin are waiting to see whether Steve Sarkeesian gives his endorsement of one of those guys being his quarterback moving forward. And I don't know that it's coming. 
I don't know that it's coming because I don't think Steve Sarkeesian thinks his answer at quarterback is on his roster right now. Now, you can make a case. Chip made a strong case for Casey Thompson. I don't disagree with some of what he said. Where I do think that there is a remains-to-be-seen factor here is Steve Sarkeesian probably looks and says, well, yeah, Casey Thompson may be the better of the two I have right here, but there are three or four names that are going to be in this transfer portal, for all we know. Don't get hung up on the number. There, there may be at least one guy in the transfer portal that I can get that is immediately my starter when he walks in. I think that's the situation. I do believe that's what Steve Sarkeesian thinks he's going to be able to do. But that 2022 Texas team, I may have said 21 a second ago, the 2022 Texas team will be a totally different team. Now, they could put up the exact same record, or they could improve by five games next year. But this whole Michigan State blueprint that Mel Tucker laid out, everyone watched that. Florida State did a version of it with Norvell. Everyone has watched that. And that is everyone's answer now. That combined with the fact that you're going to be able to bring in some more guys because of the way the COVID rules and roster limitations are changing for a little while, that is going to greatly benefit Steve Sarkeesian in Texas. Now, they still have to execute Still got to have a plan, still got to put it in motion, still got to be the right staff for the job, but they got to get the right people. And this is step one to getting the right people. This is going to be the story to watch. I can guarantee you it's going to command attention coast to coast uh, from now until we tee it up in fall camp next year. All right, let's wrap it up with this. And then uh, I got to go to bed. I got an early flight tomorrow. Not that I'm complaining. So we are already 3-0. Central Michigan hit, Eastern Michigan hit, Northern Illinois hit. We have not lost a MAC game, I don't think, this year. Stands to reason, maybe we should just bet on the MAC. No, that'd be too smart. So um, Ramen Noodle Express is already rolling this week. We are going to add eight more games. Several of them I've already given you. I've given you Notre Dame minus 15 and a half. You needed to get it when we handed it out. It's at 17 now. Virginia plus 12 and a half. I got to apologize to you for this. Uh, we're still on the game. We're not backing off the game. I should have waited because of the quarterback uncertainty. That has driven the number up to 14 and a half. So we got a terrible number here. We still like the game. Certainly if you waited, this is one of the rare exceptions where it benefits you. You can get Virginia plus 14 and a half. Our number we got it at is 12 and a half. Uh, Minnesota minus six and a half, number's at seven now. Wisconsin minus eight and a half. If you've got nine or nine and a half out there, hold on. I think you can get a better number. I think that number is going to come down a little bit. Uh, we like Wisconsin to win by double digits, though, so we will take it anywhere under 10. Oklahoma minus 3.5. think that number is pretty set. UCLA minus 3. think that number is pretty set. If anything, it's going to go up. Get it now. Wake Forest plus 4.5. We're happy. We wanted anything above 4. We're taking Demon Deacons at Clemson plus 4.5. App State minus 9.5. If you got 10s, wait. We think you can get 9.5. So App State minus 9.5. Wake plus 4.5. UCLA minus three, OU minus three and a half, Wisconsin minus eight and a half, Minnesota minus six and a half, Virginia plus 12 and a half or better, and Notre Dame minus 15 and a half. We're looking forward to a really good weekend. Let me give my token high to the live chat. Thank you so much for watching us and listening to us wherever you have been. We will be in Columbus, Ohio, looking very forward to seeing our first Buckeye game uh, in person this year or ever, and looking forward to seeing you guys Sunday night. I can tell you now. I expect a lively show because I expect a lot of chaos to go down this weekend. The Heisman Trophy could be impacted heavily by the outcome in a few of these games, to be honest with you. I think we're going to have several upsets. Dominoes are going to fall this weekend. For all I know, we could have coaching news on Sunday night, so make sure you don't miss that Sunday show. 
Uh, and I don't know how many of these bad boys I'm going to have left. These Academy gift cards, they're going to go fast this weekend. So for producer Jesse, director Colin, our entire crew here, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great early start to your weekend, and God bless. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.